explained it last week, the Lord has directed me to uh, teach this series entitled Living a Blessed Life. And instead of uh, preaching, I feel like we need to take some time and allow some teaching um, and to allow the word to really be able to sink into our hearts without necessarily all of the emotions attached with preaching many times and preaching we get excited about something and then we miss another I know I do it all the time I get excited about one thing the preacher said and 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 then I miss the next thing that he says and preaching is awesome and it's the the foolishness of preaching that saves souls and we have to have preaching but I just felt so strongly that we need to teach and and I told you last week that the whole purpose of this series is to position us underneath the windows of heaven so that God can bless us and and we're not talking we're we're not talking just about material blessings and and we're going to talk about that because that's part of it but we're we're talking about just positioning our lives in such a way that we can have the favor of God in every area and aspect of our lives and so in lesson 1 we talked about putting God first. And if we're going to live a blessed life, um, then we've got to put God first. The big idea of this whole series is that to continue living a blessed life, we honor God with our blessings. That's the whole point. It's all about honor. We use Proverbs chapter 3 that says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine, as a a verse for last week. Um, And we've got to, it's about honoring God and putting him first. And when we do that, we start to position ourselves so that God can pour out on us the blessings that he wants to pour out on us. Maybe that blessing is a stronger marriage. Maybe that blessing is the salvation of our children. Maybe that blessing is a promotion on your job. Maybe that blessing is a financial breakthrough or miracle. Maybe that blessing is the fact that you're going to get to win a uh, someone to the Lord and, 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 and save or, or disciple somebody to be an agent whereby God can save somebody or heal somebody. Maybe that blessing is that God is going to heal you. Maybe he's going to repair a broken relationship for you. Uh, Maybe he's going to save a spouse or save a child that's not serving the Lord. I don't know what the blessings are going to be, but I do know that God has promised us many blessings. And we just want to position ourselves so that God can do in us and for us and by us and through us everything that he has promised that he is going to do. Amen? And so today we're starting lesson two, and we did not get through all of the notes that I gave you last week, and that I meant to say it at the end and I forgot, but I want you to take what we didn't go through um, last week and just go through it on your own. Um, and uh, if you don't have those notes, there are still some left out on the foyer table out there. If, if you still need a copy or you'd like another copy and those all disappear, you let me know and I'll get you a copy of it. I think we, we need this, this lesson. We need this series. Um, the big idea for today's lesson, it's entitled Misplaced Trust. Misplaced Trust. And the big idea for today's lesson is that to continue living a blessed life, we cannot serve two masters. To continue living a blessed life, we cannot serve two 
masters. I'm going to tell you a, a story here, and it won't be in your notes, but we'll get into the notes here uh, pretty quick. But there was a guy who told a story from his college days, and in that story he recounts the following while they were in college living in the house they lived in an old man showed up at the back door and knocked on that door and uh, this group of of college students opened the door a few inches and they saw that his eyes were glazed over and uh, he had a furrowed face that glistened with silver stubble and he clutched a wicker basket holding a few unappealing vegetables he bid them good morning and offered his produce for sale. They were uneasy about it, uh, so they just made a quick purchase and, and um, you know, trying to alleviate the pity that they felt, but also their fear. Anybody relate to that? Because we, you know, sometimes judge a book by its cover, even if we don't want to admit to it. Because we do. We all do it. But to their chagrin, he... He returned the next week, and he introduced himself as Mr. Roth, the man who lived in the shack down the road. And as their fears subsided, they got close enough to realize that it wasn't alcohol, but it was cataracts that marbleized his eyes. And on subsequent visits, he would just kind of shuffle his way in, always wearing two mismatched right shoes. And he would pull out a harmonica, and with those glazed eyes that were actually set on a future glory, he would puff out on that old harmonica gospel tunes in between their conversations about vegetables and religion. On one such visit, he exclaimed, The Lord is so good! I came out of my shack this morning and I found a bag full of shoes and clothing on my porch. That's wonderful, Mr. Roth. We're, we're so happy for you. And he said, you know what's even more wonderful? Just yesterday, I met someone that could really use them. So you got a man, just let that sink in, who only has two right shoes and he got a bag of shoes but instead of wanting them for himself all he could think about was the person that he met or the people that he met the day before that really needed the blessing that was left on his porch you know in the kingdom of God we're supposed to be others focused and when we focus on others, the Lord will focus on us. When we focus on others, it goes to show that we love Him and that we love His people. We are, and I'm going to make this statement, it's in your notes, and I want you to, I don't know, underline it, highlight it, put a star beside it or something, but we are perhaps never more Christ-like than, than when we are putting others before ourselves. We are perhaps never more Christ-like than when we are putting others before ourselves. And so I want to start by asking you a question this morning. And you don't have to answer it out loud. I just want you to think about it, answer it to yourself, and answer it to the Lord. 
What is my first thought when I receive a blessing from the Lord? When I get extra money, when I get extra food, when I get a package of clothes or shoes dropped off at my door, what is my first thought when I get a raise on my job or when I get some sort of blessing from God? What's my first thought? The answer to that question says a whole lot towards identifying the God, big G, or the God, little g, that I serve. Y'all already aren't liking me today. The answer to that question really does help me to figure out who's God or what is God in my life. Our scripture focus for this morning are from the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, and that word mammon is an old archaic word for money. This is not Pastor Brown trying to dig into your pockets. This is Pastor Brown trying to follow the leading of the Holy Ghost and help position us so that we can live a blessed life. Scripture tells a story about the father of our faith, whose name is Abraham, stepping out in faith in a different way than we usually think about it. When we, when we think about Abraham, we usually think about, oh, he left everything and went to a land that he didn't even know where he was going. Or we think about, oh, he, he was going to sacrifice his son. And, or we, we think about the fact that, that, that God made so many promises to him. He's going to be the father of many nations, and he just followed the leading of the Lord. Or maybe we think about his mistakes when he lied about Sarah being his sister instead of his wife, or he or, or had his wife lie about it, and she almost got taken by, a, by another king. He, he, uh, we, we think about maybe his mistake in uh, going into his handmaid and having a son that was a product of unbelief. Or, or maybe we think about the great victory that he had on the mountain when he was going to sacrifice Isaac, but he spoke in faith saying that the Lord would provide. We, we think about all those things, but there's a story that, that we maybe just kind of gloss over sometimes. And maybe I can share that story with you a little bit in, in layman terms or, or uh, maybe from a little bit different perspective. He had a nephew named Lot, and I can imagine that on that particular time, a tear was rolling down Lot's cheek as he pulled his family closer that day. He'd never been more proud of his uncle. Abraham was his uncle. He'd never been more proud of Uncle Abraham, and then once more astounded by Abraham's guiding principles and his sterling character than in that day. Because here they were in the Valley of the Kings engaging in conversation with some of the most powerful kings in the region. And Uncle Abraham was unrattled and unintimidated. 
In fact, he had just, with 300 men, defeated five kings that had gathered against other kings and had taken out entire kingdoms. And with 300 men, Abraham had marched out there, defeated those five kings and their giant armies, uh, and rescued his nephew Lot and all of Lot's family and those other kings and all those things too, and took back everything that those kings had stolen. And so as Lot glanced around those barren hills that were peppered with caves everywhere, uh, like the caves in which the Dead Sea Scrolls were found almost 4,000 years later. The valley in which they stood was hundreds of feet below sea level, the lowest place on earth. He could see the tar pits uh, into which many of his uh, fellow countrymen had fallen during that battle. That's how they lost, as they were driven, in, driven into the tar pits. And, and uh, that coalition of four kings had gathered against five kings and there was that great battle and Lot and his family had been taken captive and along comes Uncle Abraham to the rescue it was magnificent it was a faith victory if I ever saw one it was akin to Gideon going out against uh, the the Midianites uh, that were a hundred thousand strong with just three hundred men, and that's what Abraham did. And Lot was watching what was going on as Abraham was having a conversation with those kings, and Lot watched with surprise on his face, and everyone had surprise on their face as the king of Salem, who wasn't even involved in all of this, came to congratulate Abraham. And he presented with, to Abraham bread and wine and declared this, Blessed be Abram by the most, God, most high God, the creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be the God most high who has defeated your enemies for you. You can see that in Genesis chapter 14. Then all of a sudden the king of Sodom, who was one of the kings that were rescued before the whole Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire thing you know here comes the king of Sodom and he began to offer to Abram all of the spoils of that battle as a token of his gratitude but Abraham said this I solemnly swear to the Lord God most high creator of heaven and earth that I will not take so much as a single thread or sandal thong from what belongs to you because otherwise you might say that you're the one that made me rich. I will only accept what my young warriors have already eaten and I request you give a fair share to my allies and our Eshcol and Mamre. You look and find that in Genesis 14 as well. Read this story later. But that wasn't the end of it. After refusing to take the king's reward, so, so, so Abraham didn't get any kind of spoil out of this battle. And yet Melchizedek, the king of Salem, Salem and a priest to the most high God, that's why Jesus is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek because nobody really knows where he came from. <laughs> And all of a sudden, he's a type and shadow of Christ and, and uh, this priesthood that is a royal priesthood because he was a king and a priest, just like Jesus is a king and a priest. We get that whole thing. But Abraham not only refused to get the blessing from the king of Sodom, but then took from all the increase that he had from his own endeavors, 
and gave him a tenth of all the goods that he had recovered, that he had earned. Abraham was the first one to ever give tithes. And Lot knew he was witnessing the action of a man of great faith who trusted completely in Almighty God. Until this day, people of faith, until this day, up to now, people still, people of faith, of true faith, still express their trust in God by giving a tithe or a tenth of their increase. And in doing so, we are joining Abraham in saying what he was saying. I put God first, and I rely on him for my provision. And then incidentally, or perhaps not so incidentally, perhaps it was on purpose because Abram, Abraham decided to give the tithe. Maybe it's God's most famous promise to bless Abraham that we find in Genesis chapter 15 in the very first verse. We're just going to read the first verse of it. We could read on and on about it, but he said this. After these things, after Abram obeyed and went into battle in faith, and after Abram gave his tithe and refused to be blessed by the world, but said, I'm only going to get my blessings from God, and I'm going to rely and trust on the Lord because I'm not, I'm not going to worry about everyone else trying to bless me because I'm going to make sure I give credit to God and lean and depend on God. And then he gave his tithe after that. The word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. We're in your notes again, by the way. <laughs> this story highlights Abraham's philosophy in life. Abraham is the premier example in the Old Testament that we see of living a blessed life. He left all to follow God. He refused to rely on man, and he tithed to God. As a result, he became rich in power and property. And eventually, he became one of the most famous figures in world history. Two major, really three, if you think about the Catholic and the Christian and the Muslim, three major religions in the world point to Abraham as their founding father. And it's all because he was rich in faith. Abraham was a man who really lived out the principle that Jesus expressed thousands of years later in our scripture focus for today in Matthew 6, 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So let's have a little bit of... Uh, conversation here you can just kind of shout out uh, your your answer um, what did Jesus mean when he said you can't serve God and mammon or God and money what did he mean by that anybody got a thought real quick y'all didn't fall asleep yet did you sister Sylvia Amen. Sister Sylvia said, you can't just go to church and then go out and do, you know, whatever you want. And you, you can't, you can't, you got to live by his ways and not live by all the world's ways. Right? That's, that's a good one. Absolutely. Anybody else? Sister Lenny. 
Have your cake and eat it too? Okay. So Shalini said it's like that famous saying, you can't have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Amen. You can't be hot and cold. Right? <laughs> Amen. 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 What else? Sister Angie. Can't love anything more than God. Was there something else? He comes first. Amen. Brother Rosa. Hold on, hold on, Brother James. You're getting all the way to the end of my note. I'm just something. That's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> harder for a rich man to enter into the, harder for a camel, or easier for a camel to enter into the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into heaven. Did you want to expound on that, Brother Rosa? We build our stature on what we can accumulate. That was the mentality back then. I'm just I'm I'm repeating it, Brother Rosa, for those that are online, and that's kind of our mentality now. Okay, keep going. Oh, that's all. And so basically, what Brother Rosa is saying is that you know if, if we focus on the riches and accumulating the riches, and 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 that's what we focus on, and we define our success by that, like they did back in those days. Where's that going to get us? I think Jesus said something like, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? Anybody else, real quick, before we move on. Now, let, let's remember, okay, let's remember that although it's not all about money, Jesus was literally saying, you can't serve God and money at the same time. So, Jesus' warning about money is, is very famous, <laughs> Maybe that's because there's been millions and maybe millions and millions of people who have had crazy things happen when they become servants to money. Kind of like the old fable of Midas's touch, right? He wanted everything he touched to become gold and that just became a curse rather than a blessing. Listen to the following descriptive statements about money. These are kind of tongue-in-cheek. Oh, Brother Jonathan, go ahead. Amen. 
James said, friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. That's a really good point. That's a really, really good point. <laughs> and that's part of what Jesus was saying in that as well. We're gonna, I'm going to make these statements that, that you hear about money, and then maybe you can think about some other sayings that you've heard about money or whatever. Maybe we can have a little bit. But listen to this one. I have seen or heard of people eating money, burning it, burying it, throwing it away, searching for it, falling in love with it, hating it, trading it for their best friends, living for it, dying for it, working for it, and lying for it. <laughs> I've seen it happen. <laughs> Money, uh, money makes people smile, it makes people celebrate, it makes people cry, it makes people fight, it makes people hate, it makes people steal, and it makes people kill. <laughs> money is sometimes cited as the number one key to happiness. I'm not saying it's true, but sometimes it's cited as that. But it's also cited as the number one reason for divorce. Money is highly valued, but it's not really valuable itself. I mean, without the gold to back up the dollar bill, the dollar bill is just a piece of paper. It's nothing. <laughs> Y'all forgive me for this next one, but I can think of a few four-letter words that describe money. Buck, bill, coin, cash. Gold. Where were y'all? No, what were y'all thinking? <laughs> it was Jesus' favorite subject. Money was Jesus' favorite subject because it so accurately reflects the hearts of men. He spoke more about money than anything else. Spoke more about money than he spoke about repentance. Spoke more about money than he spoke about the Holy Ghost. Spoke more about money than he spoke about baptism. Spoke more about money than he spoke about peace or healing or deliverance or any of those things. And if Jesus talked about it, why can't we talk about it in the church? I can tell you right now I'm talking about it. And, and just the very fact that I'm talking about money makes me feel like I'm hitting my head up against a brick wall. Because I can feel the resistance about it. Because our faith is not where it needs to be. All I'm trying to do is follow the leading of the Holy Ghost. He's, he's my shepherd and he's our shepherd and I'm an under-shepherd and I'm just trying to help bring us to the green pastures that he wants to bring us to. But, it, you know, it shouldn't be so hard to talk about money. And the very fact that it is means we need to talk about it more. But again, this is not all about money, but it, it does involve money. And so we've got to talk about it. So what comes to your mind when you hear the word money? Anybody? Your grandmother used to say money is the root of all evil. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Amen. Sister Kiefer. Right. The love of it is evil. Yeah, absolutely. Whoever took that $10,000 envelope for Christmas for Christ, God bless you. That'd be awesome. I don't know. It's not there anymore. And someone decided to throw it away. But, man, I hope it comes back with the money in it. 
Just notice that. I just, you know, sorry about the squirrel moment. But, hey, if you give that, God's going to bless you. That's what happened last year when we gave $15,000 to Christmas for Christ. God blessed so many of us in so many ways. And he's going to continue to do it. All right. Anybody else? What do you think about when money, when you think about money, Sister Brown? Blessings, okay. Sister Maggie, never have enough. <laughs> That's the truth. Sister Deb, responsibility, investments, stewardship. I like that. Awesome. Anybody else? Giving. You've got to pay your tithes. Amen. Get up here and preach for me. No. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And by the way, just let me say this. I have not looked at anybody's giving statement this entire year. I could have, but I haven't. Maybe I should. But this is not because I looked at your giving statements. Okay? I'm not targeting anybody in specific. I'm just trying to position us for blessings, okay? Sister Marlene. Huh. More money, more problems. <laughs> yes, to whomsoever, Jesus said it, to whomsoever much is given, of him also shall much be required. Amen. We could take that, that verse and apply it to money. Amen. Amen. That's what Sister Deb said. Responsible. When you get money, there's responsibility that comes with it. We, we, should, we, should, do it, we should manage it wisely. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's move on. All right. Money can be a wonderful resource for good, yet it can also be a source of great sorrow. As an inanimate object, money is neutral. But when properly managed, it's a powerful tool. But when it's loved, it can be a vicious taskmaster. The love of money is the root of all evil, right? I have a friend who will never let anybody pay for a meal if they go out to eat with them. Never. In fact, I was on a, a trip one time with him. Um, and there was a bunch of us. There was like 25 of us that had gone to a restaurant. And it wasn't like McDonald's. It was a decently, you know, mid-range, nice restaurant. And, you know, we we ordered. And, I mean, we, we ate up because we had been on a man-up adventure. And we had we'd been eating campfire food all, all week. And we were finally getting a meal. And, and here we are. Like, we're, I mean, we are eating up. I mean, you know, appetizers and drinks and desserts and everything. I don't, I, and all of a sudden, I'm looking around like, okay, where's my, where's the bill at? Where's the check? And someone, my, and I, I know who it was because I heard later who it ended up being. And I won't give the name, but he's a friend of mine now. Not because he paid for my meal. We were friends before, but <laughs> he paid for the whole meal. Everybody. All 22 of us or 25 of us or whatever it was paid for it. And there, was, there came an opportunity where he and I got to talk about it. And, and he said, listen, God has blessed me. 
and I've got to give back. There's, he said there's a responsibility that comes with the blessings of God. And so I feel like if God has blessed me, it's my responsibility to bless others. Man, I want to live by that philosophy. It goes back to that question, what is your first thought when you get a blessing? Amen. Anybody else think of some examples of how people have used money for good? Charities, right? Food share, the person runs it mostly on her own money. Sister Lenny? Right. People have different foundations, charities, and things. Yeah, absolutely. Sister Sylvia? Other ministries? Yes. Children's hospitals? Amen. These are, these are ways that people use money for, for good, right? On the other side of the coin, we probably all know good people, maybe even Christians who came into sudden money, but instead of honoring God, they slowly started turning away from God. And they started using their money to go on vacations yeah, there's nothing wrong with going on vacation. I'm not saying that. But they would go on these lavish vacations or they would buy expensive cars or fancy furniture or bigger boats or, or, or more shoes or Gucci bags or whatever. They, they buy, spend all this money. Like they just, and next thing you know, the money's gone. And they're in all kinds of trouble. Or next thing you know, they're not even serving God anymore because money became their God. It's sad, but we can probably all think of people that have done bad things with money. Did I see your hand, Sister Marilyn? Or? Okay, okay. So we said it before. Jesus taught more about money than any other topic. His teaching on money was designed to help people understand that mismanagement of money can create more problems than it solves. As Sister Marlene said, more money, more problems. We do not have to look far to find evidence that money does not make life full or meaningful. In fact, for millennia, stories of the rich and famous have demonstrated that when money becomes someone's master, they will do things they never imagined doing. But again, the issue isn't money. This is, the, this is the crux of the matter right here. This is where the rubber meets the road. The issue is lordship. Who's lord? Who's God? You can't serve God and mammon. Anybody here think, just, just shout out a name, think of an example of rich and famous people who were more troubled than the average individual? The rich young ruler in scripture. How about some modern day examples? People that we know have heard about. Brother Lou. Howard Hughes. Bill Gates. Kanye West. Mike Tyson. How about Tiger Woods? I mean, talking about troubled. 
How about how, uh, Robin Williams? Bill Cosby. Donald Trump. I mean, we haven't, did you? Yes. Right. Mm. Amen. It's true. That's a very good point. And thank you, Sister Deb, for bringing that out. You know, the economy is not where we want it to be. The government has the ability to tax us and do all kinds of things and control the currency, if you will. There's all kinds of stuff. And what happens is because things aren't so good and, and because 401ks are the bottoms dropping out of them and, and they're losing rather than gaining money and all this stuff is happening, then what, what happens? We start relying on credit cards and we get ourselves in more trouble. And, and, you know, but we're, we're, there's problems, there's a crisis. And listen, our God is bigger than all of that. And, and, and maybe, I just feel a, a, a witness in the Holy Ghost right now. And I, I see your hand, Sister Lenny, we'll, we'll get to it in just a moment. I, I feel a witness in the Holy Ghost right now. Maybe, just maybe, God is trying to set us up right now. Because the currency of the kingdom is faith. And God has unlimited resources. And if we'll give him lordship of everything in our lives, including our finances, then God will be able to bless us even when the, everything else is falling apart. Come on, somebody needs to receive that right now. I was joking about that $10,000 Christmas for Christ, but if you give that, God's going to bless you a hundredfold. God is going to do it. I, you know, how awesome would it be if uh, we could get that mortgage paid off in the next year. We're at $153,000 right now, which is about half of where we were probably, what, three years ago? That's a lot to pay off in three years. Maybe a little less than three years. We're doing a good job, but, but how awesome would it be if, if the church could pay off that mortgage and we wouldn't have to worry about the mortgage anymore and we could start getting and using the, the money that's come in uh, as, as a way to reach out into our community better and a way to manage the harvest and revival that God is promising us. That would be amazing. I believe it can happen. Amen. But... I just believe God is trying to show us, if you'll make me Lord of everything, which is all he wants anyway, I will take care of you and everything that has to do with you. Amen. We won't have to worry about the financial crises that's going on in the world and in our, with the government and all that. Because who are we trusting in? Who are we relying? Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Amen. Come on, somebody get some faith right now in the house. We trust in the Lord our God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and who is the all-sufficient one and who is the one that can take care of us no matter what. Amen. When everybody else is going hungry, ah, ah, you know, many are the afflictions of the righteous, right? But God delivers them out of them all. And guess this, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Everybody else might be begging, but my people are not going to be beggars. My people are going to be blessed when they come and blessed when they go. 
blessed in the city and blessed in the field. The head and not the tail. God will take care of us. We said it last week many times. If we'll take care of God's business, he'll take care of our business. Amen? All right. Sister Lene, you had a comment. You were really eager. Yeah, people get in trouble because of their student loans. Yeah. We get in debt over and over again, and sometimes it just gets us in trouble. All right? And, and we, could, we could go into a whole, you know, lesson on proper management of money but the the idea the point that we want to make is that we just need to trust god and follow his principles brother steve Yeah. Yeah, but we're getting off we're getting off track a little bit with the credit card and the debts and all that. We want to get back on the focus of let's give God the lordship over our finances. Let's give God lordship over everything. It's a good point, brother Steve. It's a true point. But I want to make sure we get get in on this point that we can't serve God in money. And that's a symptom. The going into debt and the using the credit cards and doing all those things, robbing Peter to pay Paul. That's just a symptom of the root of the problem which is that he's not Lord of all. Amen. So the problem is when people let, you know, do bad things with money or they get rich and famous and then they turn away from God is that God probably wasn't their God all along. And if he was, suddenly money became their God or something else like their fame or their success or their power or whatever. It's all about lordship and putting Jesus first. And trusting him in everything. What's the title of today's lesson? Misplaced trust. But if I will place my trust properly in the one that I'm supposed to be trusting in, then I will be able to live a blessed life. That's the point. We trust in money, fame, fortune, success, social status, blah, 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 whatever it might be to supply our needs and maybe not, you know, we, we, we trust in social status or popularity to, to meet our emotional needs. Or we trust in a relationship to meet our emotional needs when he's supposed to meet that need too. We want to get our affirmation from people or from worldly success or from a title or position when our affirmation and our sense of worth and value has to come from the one that created us. Man, if we could just learn to live for him and find his purpose and his plan for our lives, you won't have to worry about affirmation. You won't have to worry about feeling valued. You won't have to worry about your worth because your father in heaven says you are much more valuable than anything. And he doesn't let a hair on our head fall down. He doesn't, he doesn't, not a sparrow falls to the ground that he doesn't notice it. And yet we're far more valuable than a sparrow. Every head on our hair is numbered, even if there's only one of them. Some of y'all get that tomorrow. 
Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 says this. Here's the thing. Jesus not only wants all of our hearts, but he wants all of our trust. And this is what it says. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Colossians 1.18 says, He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. It's not in your notes. Maybe write it down. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. That in all things he might have the preeminence. It means having paramount rank, dignity, or authority, superior rank. So if we're going to give God the preeminence, it means that we are giving him more superior authority than anything or anyone else in our lives. His voice trumps everybody else's voice. There's nothing in this world like money to test us and try us and to prove who or what is the Lord and has the preeminence in our lives. In Luke 12, Jesus asked a question, or he was asked a question, sorry. He was asked a question that elicited a strong reaction followed by a story from which he brought out some very important lessons about both money and lordship. Now, Brother Jorge's probably going to have it up there in the King James Version. I don't know if he even has the ability to do the message. I'm going to read it to you from the message, and it's in your notes, so you can follow along there. Starting at verse 13, someone out of the crowd said, Teacher, order my brother to give me a fair share of the family inheritance. He replied, Jesus replied, Mr., what makes you think it's any of my business to be a judge or mediator for you? Now, kind of ironic, right? Because he is a judge <laughs> and he is our mediator, but not necessarily in that situation. Speaking to the people, he went on. He said, take care. Protect yourself against the least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. That's pretty awesome. Life is not defined by what you have, even if you have a lot. That was very clear. In Jesus' opinion, the real enemies were greed and the misconception that a person's worth is determined by how much they own. Perhaps the real lesson is that true riches come from aligning ourselves with God's kingdom and that all the riches in the world have no eternal value. After all, we can't take a penny with us to heaven or a $100 bill or a $1,000 bill or even make those anymore like, like we can't take a bar of gold with us to heaven matter of fact the, the bible says there's streets that are paved with gold in heaven it's going to be under our feet the thing that that supposedly makes the world go round is simply something that we walk on in heaven so what was the warning that jesus gave about money i'm not gonna let us have a much discussion because we need to just kind of get through this but how about this the message is that greed is bad <laughs> and it's not healthy to define life by the amount of money we have. Or how about be careful that money doesn't become your God? Or how about trust God and not money? There's, those are some pretty good answers to that question. Then Jesus tells a parable in this same context, in this same chapter, still talking about the same subject. He tells a parable that accurately describes the way many people think. And in doing so, he sets his audience up for a disappointing conclusion. So we read on in Luke chapter 12 and verse 16. The farm of a certain rich man produced a terrific crop. He got a bumper crop that year. He talked to himself, 
what can I do? My barn isn't big enough for this harvest. Man, that's a good problem to have, by the way. And I believe God wants to do that for some of us. I believe he wants to pour us out a blessing we have room not enough to receive. It's in his word. So he said this, here's what I'll do. I'll tell, tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll gather in all my grain and my goods and I'll say to myself, self, you've done well. You've got it made and now you can retire. Take it easy and have the time of your life. It's pretty smug, and but don't we do that sometimes? <laughs> Take credit for all the blessings, and then we just try to store it up against a rainy day. But there's something wrong with that self-sufficient, self-sufficient mentality, because Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. I mean, he's the one that gives us power to get wealth. The Bible calls him El Shaddai. We sang about it a little bit right, be, right before offering time and, or during offering time. And El Shaddai literally means the all-sufficiency, all-sufficient one. Our sufficiency is of God and God alone. And he's all-sufficient all the time. And so then Jesus drops the hammer by bringing God into the equation and he gives his audience a bigger picture And he continues in verse 20 of Luke chapter 12. Just then God showed up and said, fool, tonight you die. And your barn full of goods, who gets it? That's pretty harsh. Then Jesus said, that's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. The key to true Prosperity and freedom comes as a result of holding and handling resources properly. When believers handle our resources scripturally, the result is a blessed life, free from vice and worry. Now, although the story about Abraham and Melchizedek is often used to teach tithing, and we could do that, and we did that a little bit, the bigger point of that story is that Abraham relied on God for everything. And he was willing to acknowledge God in everything. That's why he was able to live such a blessed life. The blessed life is a life of faith and trust in God. Let's bring it to the 21st century. Many lottery winners, we don't play the lottery, we don't believe we should, that's gambling and gambling's not right. figured I'd get a couple amens out of that. Y'all playing the lottery, you better stop. You're just wasting your money. <laughs> Many lottery winners have discovered that money is not the answer. A few years ago, a columnist, Jim Bishop, reported what happened to people who won the state lottery. There was a lady named Rosa Grayson of Washington who won $400 a week for life. Now she hides in her apartment. Now, I mean, $400 a week is not really even that much money, but she gets it on top of everything else for the rest of her life. But she just hides in her apartment. For the first time in her life, she now has nerves. Everyone tries to put the touch on her. People are so mean, she said. I hope you win the lottery and see what happens to you. 
When the McGugarts of New York won the Irish sweepstakes, they were happy. Pop was a steam fitter. Johnny, 26 years old, loaded crates on docks. Tim was going to night school. Pop split the million with his sons. They all said the money wouldn't change their plans. But a year later, the million, and a year later, the million wasn't gone. It was just bent. The boys weren't speaking to Pop or to each other. Johnny was chasing expensive racehorses. Tim was catching up with expensive girls. Mom accused Pop of hiding his poke from her. And within two years, all of them were in court for non-payment of income taxes. It's the devil's own money, Mom said. Both boys were studying hard to become alcoholics. All these people hoped and prayed for sudden wealth. They had their prayers answered, and they were all wrecked by a dollar sign. That comes from Illustrations for Preaching and Teaching, page 156. I get a lot of good illustrations out of that book. <laughs> but after Jesus told the story of the rich man, he revealed the moral of the story. Don't fill up your barns, right? You know, or fill up your barns, and if you still have room left over, don't go build bigger barns. Why don't you just go ahead and be generous with it and give it and, and, and use it to bless somebody else? Don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or if the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There is far more to your inner life than the food you put in your stomach. More to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the ravens, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, carefree in the care of God, and you count far more. Has anyone by fussing before the mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? If fussing can't even do that, why fuss at all? Walk into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They don't fuss with their appearance, but have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The ten best-dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the wildflowers, most of them never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, and do his best for you? The bottom line is that either we trust ourselves or our money, or we trust God. That's the bottom line. What are we going to do? Jesus' story could be summarized by the iconic phrase, trust and obey. God can and will handle our needs. We are valuable to Him. We need to understand that this morning. We are valuable to Him. Worrying is pointless. Only people who do not belong to Christ need to worry. Only people who do not belong to Christ need to worry. Believers are supposed to relax in their Father's care. From this position of trust, we can pray for provision and then move forward in obedience and faith. Obedience will often include passing these provisions on to others. God will help us to learn to treasure Him and people rather than money and power. 
He does this sometimes by putting us in situations where we must depend completely on Him and give whatever He asks. I didn't ask Bishop to say what he said about Christmas for Christ. I said mention it, and we were going to show you a video. But he said this. He said, you pray and you let God speak to you, and then you obey what God said. All right? And this, this is not set up just so that Christmas, because of the timing. I, I'd almost forgotten about Christmas for Christ, honestly. I, I repent for that. But I just kind of <laughs> snuck up on me, and I just... But I'm teaching this, and here we are. We've got a great opportunity to put into practice what we're learning. We've used Abram as an example of putting God first and serving only one master. And never is that on display more strikingly than that on the mountain that time when God told him to sacrifice his son Isaac. But in the midst of Abram's, Abraham's obedient sacrifice, his faith stands out in the forefront of that story when he said, My gun, my, my gun, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. We know that's prophetic, pointing to Jesus, but it's also prophetic, pointing to the ram who was caught in the thicket on the other side of the mountain. And at the end of that sequence of events, wondrously provided by God was that ram in the thicket. And right there, in that story, after Abraham's faith and obedience, because true faith always results in obedience, is when we first see the name Jehovah Jireh in Scripture. The Lord will provide. So let me ask you a question this morning. What is... Your Isaac. Is it a bigger house? Is it career advancement? Is it whatever CFC amount that God might be putting on your heart? Is it what you were going to do with that money instead of giving it to God, but maybe the Lord's telling you to do something else? Is it simply giving your tithes because you haven't been doing it? What is your Isaac? Do you remember how God took care of the widow Zarephath in 1 Kings 17? She had nothing left but enough to make a little cake for her and her son. And the man of God said, make me a cake first. And when she did, for several months... It never ran dry, and she always had enough to make another meal. When you give to God, he'll make sure you always have enough. You can't outgive God. You just can't do it. Put him to the test. This is the one place in Scripture when God basically dares us to put him to the test. Otherwise, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. But he said, prove me now herewith. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, you have not room enough to receive. And what does he mean? In your tithes and your offerings. Prove the Lord in your tithes and offerings and just, just, just put him to the test and watch what he does for you. You can't outgive him. It, it doesn't seem to make sense that if you give 10% from the very first increase of your paycheck that you're going to have more in the end. But it's just true.
I've proven it over and over and over again. And many of you in here have proven it too. And maybe some of you forgot just how blessed you were because you gave your tithes and that's why you stopped. But I'm telling you, uh, God, he says, listen, if you don't, you're cursed with a curse. And so the favor of God gets removed off your life. And sometimes the devourer comes and destroys what you have. And that's why every time you get, you think you're getting ahead, the car breaks down or the refrigerator goes out or something like that happens. God's going to get his tithe one way or the other. But if you'll put God first, again, it's not about money. It's about putting him first and putting your trust in him above everything else. Don't trust in anything else. Just trust in him. I'm, we're almost done. I know it's 1230 or whatever time it is. We're almost done. Not quite 1230. We got a few minutes. All right. This is how Jesus put it in Luke 12, 29 through 34 in the message again. What I'm trying to do here, words of Jesus, is to get you to relax. Not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you both know God and how he works. Steep yourself in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. For those of you that are wondering, this is a message paraphrase of it. Don't be afraid of missing out. You're my dearest friends. The Father wants to give you the very kingdom itself. King James Version says it is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Be generous. Give to the poor. Get yourselves a bank that can't go bankrupt. A bank in heaven, far from bank robbers, safe from embezzlers, a bank uh, uh, that you can bank on. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. Abraham was first in faith and first in paying tithes. And that's no coincidence. He gave 10% of all his increase. And that was before the law, by the way. That was before Moses ever commanded the Israelites to, to give their tithe. He was a trendsetter. He was a prophet in more ways than one. Tithing was a statement of faith, trust, and submission to God. Not just a law to be kept. It's not about money. But it's about honor, trust, obedience, and submission. It doesn't seem to make any sense to give your tithes and wonder where everything else is going to come from. But faith does not operate in the realm of human logic and understanding. It's a faith thing. How we handle our finances is one way of indicating who we serve. We should be serving Christ alone in every area of our lives. When we serve him, our lives will be blessed beyond measure. That's how we live the, best, the blessed life. 
There's a question there. I'll let you ponder that. But how does life submitted to God as master look different from life trusting in material resources? You don't have to worry about it because you know he loves you and cares for you and takes care of you. You're worried about material resources. You're always worried about where your money's going to go and are you still going to have it when you wake up tomorrow? How are sales going to be this month? Or what's the gas prices going to be? You trust in God, you don't have to worry about all that because you know that he's, it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You trust in him, you got kingdom resources. You don't have to worry about all that. He was a successful young man, a ruler in his circles, financially stable, even wealthy. He was a good guy. He went to church. He followed the rules. He really looked the part of a God follower, had his nice suit and wore his tie to church or dressed up on his Sunday best. I can only imagine that, that heaven was rooting for him. He had a great job, a significant political post, and a good deal of money. But God was interested in what was in his heart. And upon hearing about Jesus, that young man sought Jesus out. I can see the angels cheering him on. Come on, you're getting to Jesus. You're going to Jesus. And it, listen, man, the angels do that because they rejoice every time somebody repents. If there's just a sign of repentance, they're waiting there to start rejoicing. The Gospel of Matthew records the conversation that this good moral young man had with Jesus. He told Jesus about his clean living, how good he was, how he'd follow the law and all that. And then he said, but what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He said he was ready to do whatever good deed was necessary. But Jesus saw into his heart. And he knew the issue was not good deeds or works, but trust. So he declared this. Jesus declared this in Matthew 19, 21. That's why, Brother James, I said you were fast-forwarding in my notes. You, you read the end of the book first. <laughs> You're fine. You're fine. That's all right. It's a good way to put a ribbon on it at the end, too. Matthew 19, 21, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. All of heaven held its breath. The disciples were listening intently. Would this young man who had been so religious and so diligent, would he really go all the way? Would he be willing to trust in God more than his riches? And I believe God is asking many of us that question. It's, it's been the theme of this whole thing. Are we going to trust him? Are we going to put our trust in him? That's why the title is Misplaced Trust of this lesson. Unfortunately, the scene has been repeated a million times over. Matthew 19 and 22, when the young man heard this, he went away very sad. For he had many possessions. And we see it over and over. That life-changing decision prompted Jesus to say what James read, Brother James read earlier. One of the most quoted scriptures in the Bible, Matthew 19, 23-24. I tell you the truth, it's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus talks to his troubled disciple, Jesus' comments... Sorry, Jesus' comments troubled the disciples so much that they wondered if it was even possible for a rich person to enter heaven. Jesus kind of said, you're, you're, you're missing the point. That's not really what it's all about. With God, everything is possible. Trust 
is the only way to a blessed life. It's possible to be rich and enter the kingdom of heaven. God's not saying you've got to be poor, but only with God's help. But again, we can't do anything without him anyway, right? And God, listen to this, you need to get this. God can only help those who are willing to trust him with everything. And our faith is always best demonstrated by our obedience. Because true faith always results in obedience. I want you to stand with me, please. And we're going to close with this passage of Scripture. Sorry, Brother Jorge, I didn't give it to you, but I put it in my notes right at the end. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, but he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man... According as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And I'm talking about money, but I'm also talking about your time and your resources and your talents and everything that you are, by the way. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye, you, and 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 you, always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he, and I believe that this is a word, a prophetic word for you and for our church, he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, give you what you need, and multiply your seed sown. He's going to multiply what you give. He's going to multiply the words you speak to people and witnessing to them about Christ. He's going to multiply the Bible studies that you teach. He's going to multiply the kindness that you show. He's going to multiply every seed that you have sown and give you more seed to sow and increase the fruits of your righteousness. You're going to see fruit of it too. You're going to start seeing results for that person